Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, your one-stop shop to come and learn about everything that has to do with Canadian real estate and investing. My name is Nick Hill. I'm joined today and every Tuesday and Friday by my good buddy, Daniel Foch. Dan, how's it going, man? It's good. Uh, yeah, no complaints. Just excited to be doing this intro for a cool interview that we did recently. Um, but before we do that quick, um, if you if you want to meet us at some events that, that aren't our events, but uh, we're going to be at a couple of industry events. Um, you've probably heard this one on the ads in... In the podcast, uh, ULI has their spring meeting May 16th to 18th in Toronto. First time in Canada. Yeah, it's going to be good. So we're going to be there. We're going to have a kind of like a speaker's corner podcast set up there as well. Um, be interviewing yeah. some of the speakers. Um, and then we will also be at the Missing Middle Summit, which is just after that, May 25th um, at the Broadview Hotel in Toronto. And great location. Yeah, yeah. Great event space. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So if you if you want to come meet us at those events, we'd love to see you. So um, outside of the events, Dan, where uh, what are we talking about today, and where are we starting things off? We are starting things off in Kingston, Kingston, Jamaica. No, I wish. Do you though? I know you're thinking probably like on a beach, Jamaica, right? Yeah, but I do believe Kingston is is a pretty dangerous city. Probably better weather than the Kingston that we're talking about, but other than both cities being on the water, I don't know how similar they are. So what Kingston are we talking about? Kingston is a city in Ontario, Canada. It is located on the northeastern end of Lake Ontario at the beginning of the St. Lawrence River and at the mouth of the Cataraqui River. Did I say that one right? Cataraqui. Well, I did put the proper pronunciation in here because Cataraqui is spelled with a C and there's a Q in it. It uh, gets complicated if you if you don't know what you're getting into here. So Kingston was originally established in 1673. So it's it, it gets back there. And once you're, you know, once we get into this, you'll see that you can see it in the architecture of the buildings there. You know it's an old city. So it was established in 1673 as Fort Cataraqui, later renamed Fort Frontenac. Which is still the name of their OHL team, I think, the Kingston Frontenacs. Um, they were incorporated nice. in 1838 as a town and 1846 as a city. And amalgamated in 1998 with Kingston and Pittsburgh townships. Very interesting that we had a Pittsburgh, Ontario. Um, <laughs> the city is a midway between Toronto and Montreal. Kingston is located nearby the Thousand Islands. Um, it's kind of forms part of that national capital region with Ottawa as well. And it's close to the Prince Edward County tourist region to the west. And the city of Kingston now has one of the lowest vacancy rates in the country, sitting at below 1% at approximately wow. 0.6%. Yeah. Over 3,000 people moved to the area in 2022 alone. Uh, it was a level not seen since 2018. And in the 2021 census, Kingston had a population of 172,546 people. And we know that that's growing rapidly. And as of April 2023, the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment in Kingston, Ontario is $1,600, which is a 7% increase compared to the previous year. 
Not cheap. Um, also, there is another 35,000 people plus maybe that uh, we'll call, you know, I don't know, maybe semi-permanent residences, kind of influx residences. And these are all the university students and staff. What university? Queens. It's a highly regarded school in Canada and on a national level. Holds one hell of a homecoming party, which I can personally talk about but we'll probably save that for another time and a notable attendee elon musk who's that? attended queen's university never heard of him yeah not a big deal uh it was established in 1841 so that's 184 years ago that's a lot of homecoming parties yeah kingston is nicknamed the limestone city because of the many heritage buildings constructed using local limestone and dan we can attest to this because Kingston has some gorgeous century homes full of neighborhoods of like these large manor red brick homes with turrets and and some beautiful historic stone limestone buildings. There's also a great number of multifamily units in Kingston and a lot of kind of like, I would say, more investor accessible housing stock. Uh, It seems like on the smaller stuff, you know, four units and below, you can be purchasing kind of in that 5% cap rate range. So a little bit sharper pricing than like a Toronto or Vancouver um, but still kind of have that low vacancy and stability of being a larger city on the, on the larger institutional product. Um, you know, being again, a large city with these bigger buildings, um, you're looking at those institutional prices. So four and a half, like kind of your four to 5% cap rate range, which is similar to a lot of markets of this size in Canada. For sure. Agree. A lot of great multifamily units. And again, we can attest to this as well because we were lucky enough to get a tour of the city and drove by a lot of these multifamily buildings by a guy that manages those buildings. A very impressive young man by the name of David Worsley. So David has a background in commercial real estate and spent some time brokering deals in Toronto before moving back to his hometown of Kingston, where he got heavily involved in the commercial real estate world, very, very in touch with the supply and transaction in the multifamily space in that city, which then led him to start a property management company. He had some of the units himself. He knew some people that owned property and needed units. So he took them on as clients. Uh, Well, fast forward that a a couple of years and him and his partners, Nick and Matt, are managing 1,500 units and growing every day. Yeah, really impressive guys. Um, Had a great time getting to know David and Nick and Matt. And we sat down with David in this beautiful old converted church that's now a co-working space to get some of his insights on property management, student rentals, how being an investor has helped grow his property management business and vice versa, the importance of partnerships and more. It was a really great discussion. I think I can speak for us both, Dan, that I think I learned and we learned a lot from David and we hope everyone listening does too. So without further ado, here's that discussion. Okay, I think we are going to start off with the craziest tenant story that you have given you've got what 1800 units under management and i imagine you've got some stories i definitely have a lot of content so craziest story or craziest thing that i've ever heard it's like keep in mind we're like as a third-party management company we're the middleman between the property owner the tenant so my crazy story involves both we get a 
uh, show up to work one morning and we get a police report in our general uh, in our general email. Yeah, tough start. Monday morning, eight thirty. <laughs> police reports in, so I'm looking. I'm reading it, and the property owner was at his building collecting laundry money, as he does. This guy's unique, uh, but he was at the building collecting laundry money. Got into a fight with a tenant with a mop, and the tenant had a broomstick, and they were fighting each other with a mop and a broomstick in the laundry room over no specific reason whatsoever. Almost so like how that. that happens, the guy owns, the building's probably worth four and a half million dollars. The tenant's rent is maybe $900 for like a basement unit. And these two got into a fight with a broomstick and a mop in a laundry room. Is there video recording of this? <laughs> no video evidence. <laughs> I think the police asked us for like a statement on this. And I'm just like, what do you want me to say? That's where you wish that you had CCTV cameras yeah. in that room just so you could have some <laughs> viral video content. I feel like that would be a good a good little... Uh, yeah. But like everyone's got your... Anyone that's like a property management company or big list, it's like everyone's got their like laundry list of just like the worst unit you've ever seen and all these crazy tenant stories of people coming into your office. It's like... The best one or the most unique one, at least. It's like, I don't think anyone's got a story of the owner of the four and a half million dollar building and the tenant fighting each other Literally with a broomstick and a, a Having a sword fight with... <laughs> yeah. I'm picturing like Jedis with yeah. lightsabers, but it's a it's a mop and a broom in a basement. The police officer doing the questioning is like, why am I even here doing this? Yeah. And anyways, so... So that that's that's hilarious and and unfortunate for for all parties involved. How often? I mean, you have correct me if I'm wrong. Fifteen hundred fifteen hundred units yeah. under management. So how often do problems like that arise? Like how often are you dealing with? I mean, obviously not lightsaber broom fights in, in the basement, but just random dumb things that you're like, why? You know, adults should be able to figure this kind of stuff out, but that doesn't always happen. And real estate and real estate investing and property management. So how often are you getting ridiculous calls like that? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, I'll start by saying they're definitely like any, if a management company or from an operational standpoint, like you're running your business with your rental property, it's like have good systems in place. I'll probably say this all the time, like have good systems in place to be able to like best navigate situations that will inevitably come up. Um, People, as you put it, like adults need to be able to act like adults is a, uh, should be a valid answer to a lot of things, but in practicality sense, that doesn't actually happen. So like have systems just in terms of like how like requests are handled, like complaint needs to be written, complaint needs to be written in. We'll look at the, like, we'll look at the situation. You can't just take every, you can't just take every person's word for stuff like a grain of salt. Not, yeah. Um, but like have a good system to deal with it. Number one. And then, uh, and then sometimes the situation, like sometimes People need to act like adults or adults don't need to be handheld, which is a, is unfortunately sometimes a thing. I guess like the big theme here is, you know, human beings are complicated, right? And, and, you know, being able to deal with that, those complications and, you know, you know, Jedi broomstick fights that arise as a result of, of, you know, individuals having differences requires, like you're saying, um, these systems to be in, in place. What are, you know, for for somebody who's starting out, what are sort of like the main systems that you would say somebody, you know, f- one step at a time, like first couple of things that somebody should put into place to actually become a good manager and, and mitigate some of the risk that comes with, you know, these unpredictabilities of, especially with, with residential property, 
being, you know, at somebody's house. It's a very sens- sensitive and sentimental thing. Yeah. Right? Good question. So kind of two, I'll get to the like initial thing. Second, I would say at first, like know that you're, you as the person, or if you have a team hired to be in place, like know, be empathetic, try to like adapt to the situation, try to like understand the situation. Because again, you are, you're dealing with like high stress, you're dealing with people's housing, you're potentially dealing with unrealistic expectations. There's lots, um, there's like lots on the line when you're for, for different people in different situations when you're handling these things. So always like be empathetic and be be able to adapt to different situations when you are the person handling it. Um, in terms of systems, I would always say my first bit of advice is to treat the, have a clear delineation between like treating the property as a business, knowing that landlords are on call 24 seven for maintenance emergencies and maintenance emergencies only. Lack of heat, serious flooding, et cetera, that is an actual maintenance emergency then create a delineation. So have a separate email, like an info at whatever company email. Mm -hmm. This email is monitored 8.30 to 5.30 for non-emergency issues. And that's how we handle and deal with things. If you're giving out cell phone numbers to tenants, it's like you're just setting yourself up for failure in terms of like creating unrealistic expectations uh, when you're handling some things, if you're handling things off hours when they maybe shouldn't be handled off hours. So it's like treat things like a business and use like try to set systems up like that but that's an initial simple one have a maintenance have a on-call emergency system for off hour and have a on off like an a on hour system for any other problem and actually stick to it when you're handling it no i love that i mean i think that's one of the mistakes that we see early new landlords make all the time is i'm going to be buddy buddy with my tenants here's my number call me whenever you know they go in very very like naive about what can actually happen. And, and, you know, all of a sudden they're getting text messages at all hours of the night for, for non-serious matters. So I think the next question I'd like is, is uh, to hear your thoughts on is, can you really just lay out and define the roles and responsibilities of a property management company? Like if I'm, I know what I have to do as a landlord because I know my property. I know the nuances of it. But if I bring a property management company on, what am I getting? Yeah, good question. So when people ask that, it's like, what does a property manager actually do? We don't own 1,500 units in Kingston. I wish I did. If I did, I wouldn't be here. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> maybe, maybe, here. Yeah, yeah, come on. Sorry, wouldn't be here as in like in Kingston. I'd be yeah. on a beach somewhere. That's what I um, you're uh, like, what is the, so a property manager, a property manager, property management company, they act as the landlord representative for the property. So they need to act in the best interest as if they were the landlord at the property. And, that, and then that comes with a balance between managing, like managing repairs and maintenance at a property, managing costs and the landlord's like financial performance with the property, and also managing your, your customer, which is your tenant in terms of being able to uh, provide a service so that the tenant has a like safe uh, safe, accommodating, affordable place to affordable place to live. What at what point does it make sense for a small cap, like individual, independent landlord to start outsourcing management? And maybe your answer is immediately because most people maybe ought not to be self managing their properties. But I'm just curious, like from a scale perspective, because we always talk about this on the podcast that like if you want to get in, you know, if you're getting into real estate investing, you are 
building a business, right? A lot of people talk about it as passive income. It's I don't consider it to be passive income. I've actually just come up with a new term that I call it passive aggressive income. Um, <laughs> Fair, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's got but, a ring to it. Yeah, but at what point in the in the process, like if somebody's just bought maybe their first duplex, because we're not really advising people in today's market to be buying single family residential properties. First duplex, first triplex, first fourplex. Like at what point should you be? going to get third-party management rather than trying to manage the property yourself. And before you answer that, I do want to jump in and say another thing that we preach about on the podcast is the importance of cash flow on your first few properties, right? Most most investors need that cash flow in order to be able to scale up and get that second, third, fourth property. So property management is one of those things that takes away from that cash flow. So what's what would be the you know the argument for both sides of that? Yeah, good question. So I would say at first to address the cash flow question, I would always say my opinion is that every property that uh, every property that I'm involved in underwriting, I like to think like how the banks think. The Canadian banks, there's they're supplying capital to make any real estate investing happen. When banks, when commercial banks underwrite a rental property, they underwrite a property management fee. So whether you're doing that yourself or you're outsourcing it to a third party management company, you should be underwriting a property management fee like you're paying yourself or you're paying the third party company. So from a cash flow perspective, that's my opinion that it shouldn't actually impact it. You should be impacting like underwrite it with a management fee in place anyways. Um, Dan, to your question about how, like at what scale does it make sense for someone to transition to management? I think it's all dependent on the individual and the landlord. So I always recommend to people, like people, people my age, anyone getting in, anyone getting into the business, I think there's a lot of experience you gain from managing the property yourself. Oh, I have people that come that like they'll call me and say, "Hey, I've bought this place and I need a management company," and I'm good friends with them. And I say, "You're going to manage it for one year minimum, so you can learn what's going on, and then you can call me and we'll manage it." Mm-hmm. Just because it gets like you gain so much experience uh, from being able to do that yourself, but then once. Once you are, uh, once you are accumulating, if you do accumulate more units and um, and you're you start to like understand the business better, then you're able to weigh the pros and cons of weigh, able to weigh the pros and cons of if you want to build this business out yourself and staff it yourself or do all the work yourself or outsource that to a third party management company that's going to have more scale efficiencies, better systems, hopefully to be able to run your rental property as profitably as. So the the so case no is actually, answer. yeah, I guess there is, the course not, it's real estate investing. There's never a perfect answer for anything. I guess the case is, um, you know, bring on a property management company and you might actually be able to increase your cash flow on some of those units, depending on what the services you guys offer, whether it's tenant, you know, assisting in tenant turnover, cash for keys type stuff, maybe, you know, tenant turnover, including renovations, bringing those out to market rent. Is that kind of stuff, the stuff you're referring to? Yeah, for sure. Like any, like there's uh, one example that, a, or there's multiple examples of how a management company can add value. Like an obvious one, the income line is always the first line in lots of real estate. It's my simple rule. It's like, if you're renting a unit for more money, more money on the table solves a lot of problems for a landlord, right? It's like making sure, so an individual landlord, yeah, they, you might like do your research in the rental market, make sure you're achieving top market rents and being able to rent to the best tenant that you can. If, a, if you as an individual landlord does 20 leases a year or five leases a year and a management company does, I think in 2020, 20, in 2022, we did 600 leases or 550 leases or something like that. I can, t- I can say confidently that our experience in terms of 
our, our experience in terms of setting top rental rates, tenant selection, based on that experience is probably going to be is probably going to be better or at least we're going to have more data or support behind that to be able to like achieve those top rental rate numbers not saying that someone can't do it as well there's just kind of uh, that's one uh, one example another one is from a maintenance standpoint as well typically management companies if you have your own in-house maintenance you're able to you're able to troubleshoot problems you're able to have consistency of service in terms of who's actually at the property doing work to so that that total R&M annual maintenance number is actually less, can be can be less and more efficient than if you're a one-off owner and you're just trying to call someone on Kijiji and you're just trying to get anyone to show up, be able to help troubleshoot a problem. Yeah. I mean, well, if you're in a pinch as an owner, you're going to get the, the pinch pricing, right? And same thing, like also, I think if you have management with a lot of those issues, you are preventing or doing preventative maintenance, not deferring maintenance and solving a lot of those problems in real time. And I think the other piece that is often discounted for, especially like, you know, most of the things that we're advising people to do is purchasing in multifamily situations. And we we talk about how tenants are a big asset and maintaining harmony within a building is is super crucial. And I think having third-party management makes that a lot more achievable of a goal than doing it as an individual landlord, it also can be like incredibly stressful to try and do that. I think that part of the job without the help of a third party group, like we have a, a somebody who manages, especially from a relationship perspective, a lot of those tendencies um, with our rental properties, and it really, really helps. I would say it's not something I could do. Game changer for us, and you know, when I first started, I uh, I actually built in my own little buffer because it, it it changes things completely when the person that you're you know, that's complaining to you knows that you're the one, you know, the buck stops with you. You own the property. You make the decision. If you can, if you like, so I used to tell my tenants and I doubt any of them are listening, but I used to tell my tenants that I was just a property manager when I actually own the building. Right. So that gave me the ability to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to have to go run this past the owners or sorry, this is standard procedure for the business. And it adds that layer, that buffer. Um, You spoke about tenant selection, obviously, very, very important. We've seen, uh, you know, Dan unfortunately went through a situation where he was waiting 16 months to, to get a tenant out that was treating the unit horribly, not paying, et cetera. Without maybe giving any of your proprietary stuff away, talk to us about how the tenant selection works. You chose 600 tenants last year. How did that go? Yeah. So we, our tenant selection process on a general standpoint as well, it's the same way that I said about how to underwrite a property. It's like, we try to think like how a bank would think. When we're under when we're evaluating tenants, so uh, banks, when you're going to go get a mortgage, what are the things a bank's asking for? They're asking for income. They're asking for credit. They're asking for 90 days account history. Uh, they're pulling their own credit report on their end. That's the exact same process that we try and follow. Awesome. So it's it's like simple, but it's making sure that those kind of uh, it's making sure that you're uh, you're thinking about it as well and like think about everything inquisitively. Make sure that you're just make sure that you're detailed in your approach. And again, like experience the more and more tenant selection that you have to do, the better and better that you're going to get on it. So that experience is uh, that experience is hugely valuable. And on the qualitative side, so like that probably answers the majority of the quantitative piece. What key pieces of information are you looking at when you're doing like when you're calling for references, as an example, what's the set of questions that you're asking their past landlord? Yeah, Um pretty it can be i guess different based on who the actual person that you get on the line but like would you rent to them again 
what, what was the condition of their unit like? Do you have any photos from when the tenant actually lived in the unit that you can send me? That's a great one because it's like, yeah, the tenant's moving out. I've got leasing photos actually of the unit because I'm remarketing it because they've already given notice. It's like, send me photos of what their current unit looks like or send me the listing link of what their unit looks like, um, which is a good one to like get a sense of how how people live. I haven't met too, I'd have to think back. It's like, I haven't met too many tenants that are like bad tenants that don't pay that you're waiting 16 months at a landlord and tenant board hearing that have a perfectly- Dan knows how to, Dan knows how to find those ones. But they probably know. <laughs> well, I actually inherited those tenants <laughs> know, to be I'm fair. Just and then we knew that we priced in like an eight month eviction process. But you know, it is, it is funny because like what you're saying, when I was taught, I used to do student rentals in Guelph for a, a big company out there. And um, they would always have me hand deliver the documents to get signed so that I would go to the people's houses and see their existing residents um, to get an understanding- so same kind of thing. Eyes, eyes on units is a big, and we say that to our guys all the time, like our, our maintenance team. It's like, you're our boots on the ground. You're the eyes on the unit for the landlord. It's like, be inquisitive. If there's garbage piling up on a porch, it's like, get photos of it. When you're in units fixing a toilet, it's like, look it for the smoke detectors, test the smoke detectors, get photos of anything that looks out of whack. It's like people that are trained to be the better that you can train uh, people to, that are working on your team or yourself, if you're in the property doing it yourself, it's like, the better that you can train to be like smarter and smarter to, to look for those things, the better off, uh, a better position that you're going to be. And that's one of the other like versus like man, uh, maintenance team that's like on staff versus the guy off Kijiji that responded. The guy off Kijiji is going in to fix the toilet and then he's going to leave and then he's going to send you an invoice, right? The person who's your own staff, they're going to go fix the toilet. They're going to go send an invoice. They're going to go get other photos of the property. They're going to make sure that everything's fine with the tenants. They're going to professionally speak to the tenants. It's a lot of things to consider that um, people may not necessarily consider when they're buying their first uh, when they're buying their first rental property or they're a little more like green in the space. Okay, so if you're a little more green in the space, which I know a lot of our listeners are, or or they own a couple investment properties, you were just speaking about your staff, right? You've got maintenance staff, you've got a few other people on payroll. What does that look like? Can we go through who is an important part of your team? And that way, for people listening that maybe don't have property management or don't want it yet, or you know it's not available in their area, whatever it may be, they can maybe go find those people that you have on your team. So let's run through the important members and the key members in your team. Yeah, yeah. so key, I'll say key like members and key kind of like personality traits as well. So obviously you're on your income line as well. It's the, uh, you, that skill set that's kind of like a real estate agent skill set, but from a leasing perspective, right? Someone who's gonna be uh, posting rental ads, someone that's gonna be responding to inquiries quickly that kind of has that like deal focus mentality to be able, because when you have a unit that's vacant, it's like, you need to get a transaction done, a lease transaction done and a, and a deposit collected to now like have that unit on your rent roll and be collecting rent on that unit moving forward. So someone someone with that focus and that could be the individual as well. There's that uh, we've spoken about as well, obviously from a maintenance side of things, someone that can tangibly do maintenance, number one is the obvious one, but also equally as valuable, arguably more valuable as someone who can effectively troubleshoot because there can be a leak coming from somewhere that's either a roof or an ease trough is uh, like an ease trough plumbing could be the heating system if it's a boiler heating system, right? It's like someone who can effectively troubleshoot maintenance because then you can solve the maintenance in the most effective way possible. And those are may maybe they're the same people. Maybe they're not the same people. Someone can be great at troubleshooting and doesn't know how to and isn't the person who's actually like swinging the hammer. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, and then on your like, real estate's multifaceted as well. There's the like accounting side of when you get when you have one or two units, it's simple uh, or simpler. But the accounting side of rent collection and tracking expenses, uh, tracking expenses uh, in an organized and efficient way, making sure bills are paid on time. Is it, yeah. yeah. So, and my advice to that, to like anyone starting out is like, use a property management software, use a property management software and use it right away. Like train good habits from the start because you can operate without a property management software with five, 10, 20, probably 50 units. If you have a hundred, 150 units, there's a 0% chance you can operate without a property management software. So it's like, why not? It's like train people in the market that are theoretically the most successful that have the most amount of real estate. It's like, they're all using property management softwares. If you're starting out, train good habits and use that from the start. So I don't want a property manager at the start because I can't afford it. I want to keep my cash flow, but I should be at least using some property management software so that when I do hit that 25, 30, 50 units, whatever threshold that is that I don't want to do it anymore, I can then just go and hand you or whoever that property management company is that software where I've been diligently putting on all my ins and outs and expenses and et cetera, et cetera. That's what you're recommending. I would say that yes, because it trains in my opinion, it's like that's training a good habit. And if I was going to go and purchase a rental property that's worth however many hundreds of thousands of dollars, I would want to be operating with the best processes and operate with the best habits that I can from the start. I, I would argue also, like, as you mentioned at the beginning, like it may actually just be worth most people considering, like most people who, like, I actually don't think the average individual should be a landlord. Like, you know, completely. I think, I think yeah. and I, so I think like if you're, if you are going to say, somebody's a real estate investor getting into the business of real estate, you can be a passive investor or you can be, sorry, let's make, call it maybe a more silent partner in that business and then bring on like a manager as, you know, the active partner in your business. If you think about that, and it's a very small fee to be paying really. And maybe we can talk about fee structure, like what it's going to cost the average person. But from my perspective, I actually think it's pretty reasonable cost for what you get. And I think for most people that I think probably just can't like, can't handle the stress. Like how many times have we talked to people who are offloading assets because not because it's not profitable, not because it, but it's because it's such a headache. And then how many times have you and I been extremely stressed over the last couple of years because of tenant stuff. Right. Right. And yeah. And so from my perspective, like if you really want to think about real estate as a business, the sooner you can make it a business and not a job for yourself, the better. So it it might like the advice that I'm getting from just having this conversation is like probably asset number one, unit number one might actually be the place to do it. It's it's tough because I, I keep on going back and forth with agreeing with that, but also kind of going back to what David was saying where it's like, I think there's a, there's a ton of merit in doing at least getting your hands dirty with, you know, and maybe that's not for everybody. You're right. Maybe that's for, you know, in, some landlords in particular, but I think there's a ton of value that goes into actually knowing what it takes to run a rental property, touching whether, whether it's a dupe, exactly too. touching and yeah. feeling your own buildings, placing tenants, dealing with, you know, the plumber on a Saturday, all that kind of stuff that comes up so that when you do bring on a property management company, you actually understand what you're paying for. Now that's a great segue into what are we paying for and how much does all of that stuff cost? So maybe walk us through high level, what someone, you know, with a 10 unit portfolio, a 50 unit portfolio and a hundred unit portfolio Economies of scale, does things change? How, how would something like that be priced out? Yeah. So most management companies, uh, most management companies' fee structures are structured relatively similar. 
Uh, there's three main components to all of them. So these are good things to be aware of if you're looking or you're interviewing management companies as well and knowing how to like knowing kind of what to expect. So the first component is the monthly management fee. Mm-hmm. That will typically be a percentage of the gross rent can be all over the like in terms of market specific. It's can be all over the place from 5% up to like 12, 14 percent uh, based on what kind of market you're in and what type of product that you're managing. Bigger apartment buildings. Uh, buildings that have more efficiencies are going to be have a lower percentage. Your single family homes that uh, require are more management intensive, uh, have lower rent rolls, which inevitably will be a lower monthly management fee, will be higher and cost more. So that's a range based on like the company and the market. Uh, the second component will be a leasing fee. So any new lease that's signed, the management company will typically charge a leasing fee, whether that's a flat rate, whether that's a percentage of like 50% of one month's rent or 100% of one month's rent. And then the company, if they have their own maintenance staff, they'll have their maintenance rate that their own staff get charged out at. So those are kind of your three components, which is any, which the, which is the same thing as you finding a general contracting company and their guys charge whatever per hour, right? So it's, it's, it's that company, but internalized so that they have those advantages that I was talking about before uh, with consistency of service, like ability to troubleshoot, et cetera. Cool. Okay. Um, I want to talk about the fact that you are also a real estate investor. You don't just manage other people's properties. You and some partners own properties yourself that you also manage. One of the questions that we get a lot from people that want to become more involved in real estate investing in a full-time basis is, you know, do I become something? Do I switch my career into something, whether it be appraiser, mortgage agent, realtor, property manager, construction related, something? Do I switch my career into something that is real estate investing related? Let's have a conversation about how being a property manager and an investor have kind of crossed paths, the synergies between them. What came first? Was it the investing or the property management? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, Definitely, I think they would go hand in hand for me. And that's meaning that I definitely, I, I run Axon Property Management because I also own real estate. It's my job and I love doing it as well. And just the management company has, I get a lot of like joy and satisfaction in just doing that. But we're, we're in this to be able to own as much real estate as we can as well. And be when those opportunities present themselves, give, uh, give ourselves the best chance to be able to like execute on those opportunities. And my, and similar to what you were saying about different kind of service lines, there's so many service lines in real estate. It's kind of taking the advantages or taking your, uh, your unique ability that is, uh, and relate that to your, relate that to your investments and relate that to like decisions that you make regarding your investments. So one of the things with property management, why it's valuable, at least in my opinion, is that there's the like data set behind uh, what we have is huge, meaning that we have so many like rental rate comps. We have so, so many comps for what repairs and maintenance, uh, annual repairs and maintenance costs at certain sub certain uh, building types are uh, at across a 46 unit building versus a 12 unit building versus a four unit building. The uh, We've got great data behind that to be able to help support decisions. So that's something that the management company allows and also gives you an operational um, as you become uh, the more and more real estate that you acquire and own, your operations become more and more important because you can do 
whatever, 15, 20 units, you can do that on your own, maybe, right? But if you own 50 units or 100 units, you need a team in place. So whether that's your own staff and you're the one hiring and training and developing systems, or you need to be able to have a relationship with a management company who can effectively operate. So the people that the more real estate that you own, your operational plan needs to be thought of more than if someone's buying their first rental property, you don't really have to think about your operational plan as much because you can always just do it. You can always be the guy who's cutting the grass. But if you own 200 properties, it's a lot of grass. Yeah. You're, you can't <laughs> yeah. be a full, unless you want to be a full-time landscaper. It's like, that's going to take your entire summer yeah. if you're one person. And then you're just a landscaper and then you got to hire all the other stuff out. Yeah, correct. Right. So it's something that you actually tangibly have to think about. Yeah. And, and I think another thing that, you know, is that you are now in direct contact with, with building owners all the time, right? So someone wants to sell, well, maybe you get first crack at this off-market deal and they know you and they trust you because you've been managing that building. And now not only that, but you have a chance to buy this building that you've been managing for X number of years. Yeah, like definitely uh, your your boots on the ground, you get leads on opportunities all the time. I would say my on the my biggest takeaway is that we, because we're in direct contact with our property owners and some property owners own own massive amounts of real estate, right? These are all very smart people that like I personally learn a ton from like our top end of our client base, even like lots of our clients. It's like, you're working with property owners. You're working with generally smart people all the time. It's like, it makes you smarter. It makes you smarter in your day to day. Just like being in that, uh, being in that space, being in that conversation, being in that meeting and, uh, there. So that's a big thing that again, like your leads on, like your leads on deals or opportunities is always great. But the flip side of just like what you learn from who you're surrounded with, is a it's not always thought of and uh, there's some very smart people that own lots of real estate so maybe we just flip from the before we get into like kind of what you've distilled all of your knowledge into if we can just flip from the management perspective to try and create a little bit of value for our listeners who are still in acquisition mode um you know when you talk about buyers owners smart people who are buying, owning real estate right now in your market, what are you seeing? What are the major trends? What are the opportunities? Like if you were to to give a summary from an advisory perspective of like, you know, understanding that you're speaking to a lot of sort of like entry level landlords, you know, small multifamily owners, you know, what's kind of the, the, the big opportunity in the market today from your view? I think it's a good question. I mean, there's, there's definitely, um, and I'm a podcast listener as well. So I do, uh, I'm an avid, avid podcast listener as well. So I do kind of hear like the, uh, the market's huge in terms of opportunities, as we know, right? It's like, there's so many, there's so many cities, there's so many asset classes, there's so many different, uh, different levels of different kind of levels that you can be, uh, getting in on or having, uh, having opportunities with. So I think like initially someone's opportunities, like finding, like find that, uh, find a niche or find any bit of find any uh, any like unique ability you can bring to the table and try to leverage that in with your real estate. Meaning that if you're someone with a construction background, it's like find that property that needs construction ex- expertise. If you're a if you work in in investment banking, like find that uh, property that uh, has the ability to like has the 
uh, property that like has the ability to like get a really good financing deal on it. Mm-hmm. If you're an operations person at a different company, it's like maybe you find something that a property that needs better operations. If you're a real estate agent that find a property that needs like uh, that needs better leasing done on it. It's like find ways to leverage like your own kind of like unique ability or skill set. And if you're an individual person, you you have that and you have a good idea of what that can be and try to leverage that into your real estate into whatever like market that you pick. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, let's dive into the five lessons that you put here managing fifteen over 1,500 units. Why don't you start us off and after each one, maybe we'll pause for a second just to, to chat if Dan and I have any questions. I want to pick your brain on it. So these are these are awesome folks. Dave put these together beforehand because I had was like, you know, we need we need a list of five, at least five things that uh, people love lists. We need a list of at least five things that are like the commandments of property management. So here we go. Okay. Um, lesson number one. This is my... This is, I will live and die by this. So lesson number one, thoroughly understand the, uh, thoroughly understand the Ontario Standard Form Lease and Residential Tenancies Act. So I'm speaking specifically to Ontario. I know that this is a national podcast, so that would be thoroughly understand your municipal rules and regulations. Uh, know the rules of the game before you start playing it. And there's so many, I, I get friends of mine that ask me, of course, like landlord questions or, hey, I'm dealing, I'm a tenant, I'm dealing with my landlord. And I say to them all the time, my response, I can copy and paste it, read the lease agreement (laughs) because the answer is probably in there. Our first day training with all our staff is they read the Ontario standard form lease and then we quiz them on it the next day. And I think every, like that would be regulated at a provincial level. So Alberta has a uh, Residential Tenancies Act. They have a standard form lease, I think, that isn't necessarily needed, like required like Ontario, but just RTA, search the RTA Residential Tenancies Act within your specific province. BC has one. They have a Residential Tenancy Agreement, the RTB form. So every province does have legislature designed to solve the problems that you're describing. But the percentage of people that own real estate that know this is a lower number than you would expect. So <laughs> yeah, my man. number one, maybe we would expect it. Yeah. 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 To anyone, just read it, it and learn that. Yeah. Because if you do that, you're already a step ahead of part people in the market and it's simple to do. Yeah, great advice. Number two. Okay, number two is understand the, understand the consumer who's the tenant of the property. They're the person that's paying, they're the person that's paying your mortgage or they're the person that's your entire income line or most of your income line is from the tenant. So understand what, uh, whatever property that you own, what type of profile a tenant would be living there. What does that profile of tenant actually want in their rental? What does the profile of tenant actually want in their rental property? The better that you can understand the person who's paying your entire income line, the better investment decisions that you're going to be able to make. Um, like, if you own an apartment building that's a C-class apartment building, right? It's like the tenant that's living in there probably doesn't care if it's granite or laminate countertops. So <laughs> yeah. put in laminate, right? What do they want? They want a safe and affordable like house where they're going to live, right? So understanding who, understanding that is important and, and actually trying to like think about it. Uh, I said at the start as well, like put yourself in the shoes of the consumer and try to um, try to best understand that to make the best decisions that you can. Yeah, no, I love that. There was, we've quoted this guy before, Dan, I can't remember who it is, but someone, some developer and an investor out of the state said he, he always built or, or or built and bought with the tenant in mind first. So we pick the tenant profile and then go searching for the product. So, you know, it's, it's, 
it's basically if you t- if you went to business school or did like a, a BCom or something like you would like you know from the from the very start when you examine the marketing process, the marketing process starts with the product. I mean, a great company that understands that exceptionally well is Apple. Right at the very beginning of the manufacturing process, that's where their marketing begins with the industrial design of things, and it's the exact same thing if you think about real estate as a business. I'm getting into the business of providing housing or providing a commercial unit to an end user. Who is that end user? I have to design the product for them with them in mind, right? Completely agree. And and I think the other piece is, and um, David mentioned this on our interview with Chip Wilson. He's like, it's very simple. The original subscription agreement, very simple business model, right? You have a job. you, You literally only have one job and it's provide a house for that person and they pay you money in response for that. Just do your job really well and there shouldn't be any problems, you know, barring like the anomaly. And, uh, you know, the sword fights in the basement. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Number number three. Uh, Number three, property management is a team sport. So we've like, we've spoke about it as well. And whether that's you starting out by yourself, it's like, think about who you're hiring, which plumber that you're hiring or which uh, leasing person that you're hiring to help you out or which bookkeeper that you're hiring to help help you out. It's an important... uh, being able to select and find the best, uh, being able to select and find the best people on your team and the best people to work with and the best like personality traits to be able to get uh, a complex and a job with a lot of moving parts done is. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'd even take it one step further and say real estate and even just real estate investing is a team sport. Yeah, right? for sure. And then there's that like subsection, like if a property manager is a part of your real estate investing team, it's like now that property management team, they've got a drop down list of their exactly. of their exactly. smaller, more nuanced team, or it's the person self-managing and you're doing it all yourself, which is fine, like which is fine, which is fine as well, or you need to find Until it isn't. Yeah. yeah, or or you find the one or two people that are helping you that are helping you out in exactly. uh, in executing that. Okay. Number four. Number four, we talked about on the pod as well, have a system and a process for everything. So whether that's and any operations person, it's like have a, a we'll call them like SOP, standard operating procedure, have them written down, follow them, uh, develop good habits, uh, like using a management software, develop good habits, like how you communicate and be consistent with your communication, literally write a system and a process for every moving part of real estate. And, uh, and that's going to put you in the best chance for success. It's not a perfect real estate is never going to be perfect, but those are going to be like any business, follow them as best you can uh, and you'll be set up as best you can for success. I think I think real estate is a tough one in that respect because a lot of us are more acquirers than operators. Like really, I think there's almost a selection bias for people who they want to, they're, they're, we like the creative process. We like the idea of thinking about what the asset can be, what we can turn it into. And then once you get to the point of actually operating the asset, that's where the wheels start to come off, really. And I think that, so I think that that's like, r- like really, really valuable that's, advice that's for people. That's why we're doing yeah, this because David reached out and he was like, I don't think people understand how to run a property after they bought it. So no, great, great. Yeah, but, and people like, people buy real estate with a like 25, 50, whatever year investment horizon, right? It's like, yeah. okay, fine. You're going to be operating. Or, this or a six month investment horizon, which is also a huge mistake. <laughs> but like, what's yeah. fine about the size is like you're, but the fact that you're doing that, it's like, if you're going to own something for that amount of time, it's like you're operating it for that amount of time. That is a lot of operations that have to go right. And you can either do it with a good system and process in place or not. Not. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's important. 
Yeah. Okay. The fifth and final lesson, David. Fifth and final lesson learned. So I've got to shout out to my, this is not my personal lesson. Uh, one of my partners, I said, when we, when we agreed on the date that I was going to come speak on this, I'm like, I've got to, I'm speaking on this. Like someone give me some advice here. What do we do? So uh, one of my partners, this is what he wrote back. This is what he wrote back to me. And it's a perfect summary of Perfect. Uh, in my opinion, it's a perfect it. summary of uh, maybe like a mindset going into real estate operations and uh, how to think about it. So uh, I'm reading this, so I'm quoting someone else here. Uh, property management can feel like chaos at times. Uh, it's simply a product of the industry. You're dealing with people, their housing, high emotions, unforeseen situations, and potentially unrealistic expectations. The key to success is how you react communicate, adapt, and solve the problem at hand. So those like last four points of like your kind of key things to think about, those are, it's a great mindset. It's a great, when he sent me that, I'm like, bang, that is so correct. I couldn't even like phrase it any better. So I'm just going to read exactly what you wrote to me. So (laughs) keep those in mind whenever you're handling, when you get that stressful tenant like situation or you've got whatever problem or someone's not paying or whatever, have uh read that to yourself and maybe it'll make you feel better. Maybe I not. feel like we can make like one of those like uh, motivational posters with a penguin on it under <laughs> that under it, you know, like a penguin, like walking through a snowstorm or something. Yeah, exactly. Determination. And then it has that quote under it. Yeah. Love it. Thanks, man. This was, uh, this was really insightful. No worries. That was any, fun. any closing remarks? Closing remarks. Uh, I guess you, you can't really close it out better than you just did with number five. Yeah, I was going to say reread that. <laughs> if all of our, our listeners with uh, multi-billion dollar real estate portfolios want to reach out to you for some management uh, of their assets, where would be the best place for them to find you? So thanks. Like we will manage just from our uh, from my perspective as well. We have clients that uh, that have 200 plus unit portfolios. We have clients that own one house. So anything, if you're a good person and you like real estate and we like working together, then we certainly, uh, then we'll work with, we'll work with anyone that fits that criteria. And uh, my company's Axon Property Management. Uh, you can check out our website, axonproperties.ca. Awesome. We'll have that in the show description. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.